It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, December 26th, which turns out to be the day after Christmas, if you were paying attention to that. And uh, it is episode 552. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today, joined by one of my awesomest co-hosts, and that is Jamie Sabriel Flez. Hello, Jamie. Hello, that's me. That is you. It is. And we are we are here. We are we here. Are. We'll get into this in a minute to get into the promised talk of the promised talk of uh, what happened on your first ever development gig. Yeah, and, uh, I can yeah. tell you so many things now. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes. But first, but first, how you doing? You got some free time now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in theory, yes. Yeah. So at, at time of recording, the contract is actually still ongoing, but it's almost right, right. done. We're yeah, in the home yeah. stretch. At, between the time of recording this podcast and December 26th, when it yeah, releases, yeah. I will be done. Um, yeah. And at this and point, you're will, just finalizing. Go on vacation. <laughs> you're just finalizing some playtesting, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Finalizing the last bit of stuff that I'm doing, which I will talk about in a few minutes. That's pretty um, awesome. And uh, I am not one for holidays, and I am still going on a Christmas vacation because, who oh boy, I need it after last few months <laughs> because like clark griswold you are ready to go yes so, is yes. that um hold on hold on is that a that's a, is that national lampoon that is national lampoons yeah, yeah. Which i have not seen in a heck a long time as heck a long. Say. yeah one heck one long. one hecade one hecade. Oh, that, was, <laughs> that was good that was really yeah. really solid yeah, well, you know, that's you can you can just have that. That's a, a whole package. You, you can keep that without paying me royalties. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, things have been uh I've still been keeping really busy trying to keep up with uh some stuff. Yeah. Um which is when my brain is like, "You know what you need, Jason? You need some new ideas." Yeah, I mean, you need to make new more ideas. Games. Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh. <laughs> oh, great. Great." And one of those ideas which I'm not going to go into a bunch of details, but you know, like we all have like these, like these ideas for these grail games. Um, yes. Where I have one of the, well, besides yeah, fight sequence, yeah. I have another one of those. I'm right, sorry. I right. interrupted you. Please keep going. And I've got one that I've been trying to figure out for a very long time and something finally clicked for it in a very different format than I expected. And, and I look forward to talking about that at some point right, right now. I've only had time to jot down notes, but it's, I'm at that point where it's kind of consuming my brain whenever my brain's not doing anything productive. Oh, um, just because uh, I finally think I kind of crack the code on that to make the game be what it needs to be. I have to kind of ungamify some of it, which seems oh, really counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, and um, and it will uh, and it will be just a solo experience. Um, OK. And in an experience as much as a game. Um, so, wow. So yeah, so I'm I'm working through. I hope that different... when you talk more about this, I'm on that podcast episode because I also have sure, a game sure. idea that's like leaning a lot towards that. Yeah, yeah. This was I'd been tr so trying to focus how to make a competitive game when it didn't feel that way, and then mm -hmm. through a conversation I had with Michael Wasbrock about a couple things because Michael's super smart, yep. uh, it just kind of popped into my head. He came up with a name, and Ooh. then uh, he he said it, and then everything just started to click that evening, laying in bed. 
uh, and I was awake for for too long trying to figure it out. And then I, <laughs> I reached out to my other friend, one of my other friends, Tim Devine, to ask him some questions because it kind of falls in line with the type of stuff he's working on. And I was like, hey, mm-hmm. how do I, how would I, like, would this work? How would I do this? And he had some really positive thoughts on it. So I'm just, um, yeah, I'm just at the point now where I'm just kind of throwing ideas at the wall and, and trying to make an outline of how this this game would function. Um, cause it's, it's not like anything I've ever worked on. So, um, yeah, yeah. And I want to keep it to like, I, I want to keep it to myself. Like I want to, I want to design this one on my own. Um, just because I just want it to be my creation, you know, like mm-hmm, in my experience, mm-hmm. because I'm just so finicky about what this is that having anyone else help with it, it would just be a disservice to them. And yeah, because <laughs> I would yeah, be I like, no, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. So <laughs> I would be very precious about this, I feel like. And uh, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I will say I am now fully in your camp of code design a lot. And that's a great way to help like get more ideas out there um, because I totally feel you about the like, yeah, I uh, it's so funny how the creative brain works where it's like, yes, I I am so busy and I got promoted at my job a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also got the, you know, I'm in the Horizon Fellowship now. And so now mm-hmm. I'm doing lots of fight sequence stuff and lots of stuff in the Horizon Fellowship. And then I got the dev contract. And you know what I really need? Um, all those games that I shelved for a few years to work on fight sequence, uh, all those other game ideas that I have that aren't fight sequence, all of them are just kicking down the door now. Like, yeah, wow, we yeah. want to be worked on. Um, right. But I got to say, like, probably one of my favorite things about game design in general, mm-hmm. the process of design is those eureka moments, like when things yeah, click and it's yeah. like, oh my God, yes, that's how to do it. The issue is that like in the shower and like when I'm about to go to bed, I've had eureka moments for every other game that isn't fight sequence, like all 10 of them and all 10 of my ideas. So it's like my brain is going eight light years a minute. It's a lot. Anyway. Let's talk about this topic here. Oh, this topic. Shall I just dive right in? Yeah. 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 You mentioned we're going to do things backwards this week because you want to pitch the game. So we know what you're talking about and then we'll talk through how it's going to work or how, what you did to make it work. Alrighty. So my game dev contract, I hinted at so many things in the first episode that I can now talk about. The publisher that hired me is Snowbright Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have done uh, the Tea Time Adventures RPGs. Uh, they did Birds of a Feather, and their most recent Kickstarter was on Halloween for the game Inc., which I believe is like a little lightweight RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and the game dev contract that I was that I signed on for is to develop their latest game, Harvest Hoppers which is kickstarting on February 21st. It is a little, uh, it's set in the same universe as Tea Time Adventures, although it's not like, it, it's like a loose correlation using the same setting and mm-hmm. characters as opposed to like, this is part of the, t- like, this is part of the canon of the RPG. It's a, it's a whole thing. They can explain it better than I can. But yeah, set in, tea time, set in the same setting as Tea Time Adventures. And in Harvest Hoppers, everyone is a hop top, which are the, the frog folks of, mm-hmm. Tea Time Adventures. Uh, everyone is a, a race of animal people. And so you're playing a frog on a bike, delivering CSA vegetables to a whole bunch of restaurants and taco trucks and stuff around neighborhoods uh, during a three-day food festival weekend. And it is a very, it's like a baby's first area control game, essentially. Um, it's not, it, it's not a family weight game. So I guess uh, using that just 
particular descriptor doesn't fit it very well. Um, but it is, you know, a very lightweight and straightforward. It's it's not a filler game, but it's, you know, 30 to 45 minutes for, mm-hmm. I think, all player counts. It's two to six players. Two to six, which is a very cool player count range. Um, it was originally three to six, and one of the two main things that I was brought on to do was to develop the two-player game out of the existing rule set for mm, the three okay. to six player yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically when I was signed on, I signed on, I was signed on very late in the development cycle, as you can probably tell, because it's kickstarting in two months. Um, right, right, right. So the rules for three to six players were not exactly set in stone, but they, yeah, they mostly were. Um, I did do some editing there, some light editing for the rules there. Um, but basically I had to take the existing rules and from there add as few rules as possible to make a functioning two-player game for this area control game. And I did so, and I feel very proud of the work that I've done. Um, Yeah, it's Snowbright Studios, and the designer is Joel Sparks, who uh, also designed the game Cat-Thulu, and I think some others. (laughs) But Cat-Thulu is the one that I remember is, like, published and might be known. Um, Okay. Okay, that's a good name. Yeah, Cat-Thulu is a great name. Um... So yeah, so that is, so the way the game works is uh, it's modular. Uh, so there are neighborhood boards. It's a hex it's a hex board, and we all, as we all know, hexagon is the bestagon. It's uh, true. So it's a, if you can imagine, you know, it's like that hex setup of hexes where there's seven hexes, like a ring of six hexes around another hex, and then there's one more on the end in the lower left corner, and that's like mm-hmm. a starting point. And every board is set up the same way, but with a random assortment of the five that form the X in the middle of the hex hex. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are different per board, and then the outer, like the outer one, the bottom one of the hex hex, because um, I'm picturing it like you rotate it. Uh, what 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 would that be? Thirty degrees. Um, so the the weird one on the end is now towards the very left. Anyway, I'm explaining this really poorly. Um, every every neighborhood has two fancy restaurants and five normal restaurants, and then a starting point for eight hexes total. And you assign, you arrange them in a random way, and they're double-sided, so you could use either the A side or B side. You can mix and match them. Mm-hmm. Um, and b- depending on player count, use a different number of boards. And so the way it works is, you know, on, you, each day, there are three days. Each day, there's one frog per starting spot. And on your turn, you move one space. You have to move one space. And then you may get rid of one of your vegetables for the day to move two more spaces because you eat the veg. You move two more spaces, up to two more spaces, and then wherever you land, you can either pass or deliver there. Okay. When you deliver there, you go up on a track with uh, scaling points. It's it's not a linear scale. It's uh, whatever the other one is. Not exponential because it's not exponential. It's the the logarithmic. It's logarithmic scaling um, for each of the tracks. So the first bakery I deliver to, I now get one point for. The next one I deliver to, now I have three points total. Oh, for. you mean triangular scoring. Triangular? Is that tri- triangular? Triangular, yeah. What's logarithmic? Logarithmic, I think, is like exponential. Are you sure? I mean, triangular I is one, you... three. I know that. So. Yeah, it's it's one, three, six, ten, fifteen. Yeah, that's that's for sure triangular. Well, great. I learned something new, and I also learned that I've used the word logarithmic to describe that scoring incorrectly, maybe 155 times. Well, it's it's possible they maybe they are the same thing. So wow. like, um, a logarithm uh, is a power which number is raised in order to get some other number. So maybe uh, 
uh, triangular is logarithmic is the same thing. Like mm. maybe one is a, you know, um, yeah, yeah, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square. And let yeah, me tell you, yeah, yeah. it's definitely a rectangle. This is where I wish we had somebody like Isaac Shalev on the podcast because he would be like, <laughs> let me explain this to you. And he would be right. So, um, <laughs> well, all right, yeah. well, triangular. Now we know. So all the score tracks are triangular. Um, and and also five, possibly log logarithmic. Pos possibly logarithmic. Or There's possibly Jamie doesn't know what words mean, which is also fine. Don't worry. Um, you're among good friends because neither do I. I'm the person. Oh, you don't. Yeah, you didn't hear the episode, but where I thought, I, um, where I, I thought, uh, theory. what was the, um, now I don't even remember what the words were. Um, never mind. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. Y'all know what words I got confused. Uh, oh, isomorphic and isometric. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Those are different words. Yeah. I thought they were the same. It's cool. Ooh, no. <laughs> isometric is actually kind of a made up word, which is fun. Um, we like made up words that become actual words. Anyway, what the heck was I saying? Right, delivery tracks. You're delivering vegetables to restaurants. Um, and all of the tracks, there are seven tracks, one for each of the types of restaurants. So there's five basic restaurants. Um, and then the two types of fancy restaurants. And they all form triangular scoring tracks, except the two star fancy restaurants start at the next one up. So it goes two, mm -hmm. five, let's see, it goes two, five, nine. 14, etc. And then the three star fancy restaurants start the next step up there. So it goes three, seven, 12, 18, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the reputation tracks, which are make up the, the half of the score. Uh, and then the other part that makes up the score is uh, you get, oh, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention about the, the rest the fancy restaurants, which is one of my favorite parts of the game. So each neighborhood has very clear divider lines. So there's one of each type of restaurant, including the two fancies. In order to deliver mm -hmm. to a two-star fancy restaurant, there must be two or more other deliveries in that neighborhood that day. And then for the three stars, there need to be three or more deliveries in that neighborhood that day. Mm -hmm. And after you set up the board, the two-star restaurants sort of ring the outside equidistant. And all oh, the okay. Star okay. restaurants are in the very middle, mm -hmm. like with neighborhood all dividing them. Um, they're the downtown the restaurants, right? <laughs> the yeah. super fancy ones, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because they're all downtown or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that is that is where a lot of the like player interaction comes in, is like forcing people to congregate towards those, those most valuable restaurants. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that I added to the rule set. Uh, I switched nice. it because it, it used to be the two stars in the middle and the three stars around the edge. And it meant mm -hmm. that players just sort of siloed within neighborhoods. Um, but by switching it, everyone is, you know, focusing on the center of the board instead of the outside as the most valuable pieces. Mm -hmm. um, so that is one of the several little bits that I changed. Um, so that is how the delivery works. And then the area control comes in at the end of each day. You mm -hmm. look at each separate neighborhood and whoever delivered the most there total throughout the game because all vegetables stay on the board you just flip them over at the end of the day um to show who you know delivered today or not right um, that makes sense yeah so at the end of each day each neighborhood awards the person who delivered the most there a five coin tip and the second place a three coin tip and ties are unfriendly uh and the, you add those tips and those that reputation and that's your total score interesting yeah and it's three rounds 
Um, oh, so the whole game is three rounds. Okay. The whole game the, is three rounds. Yep, three days. It's a three day weekend. Ah, um, uh, yes. The other thing about it is that, uh, unless it's a two player game, which I'll get to later, um, <laughs> three plus player game, you can never. So once a restaurant has a vegetable delivered to it that day, mm-hmm. it cannot accept any more. If you yourself have delivered to a restaurant at any point in the game, you cannot deliver to it again. So if I, oh, yeah, so if I walk to this, you know, cafe right next to the forest that I started on day one and I deliver my pumpkin to it, uh, you know, that's why we flip it over and keep it on the board. One of the two reasons is now I know I can never deliver pumpkin to that cafe again. Oh, okay. So I misunderstood. You can deliver there again, but not pumpkin. Yes, you can deliver there the next day. If I deliver to this particular cafe on day one, you cannot deliver to it on day one. Nobody else can deliver to I it see. on day one. And okay. I can deliver on day two, but I yes. can't give them pumpkins again because I already gave them pumpkins. Each player has their own vegetable. Oh, duh. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So right, I right. am the pumpkin handler and you are the uh, you're the broccoli right, right. frog. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was confused. No worries. Um, so... Yeah, so one of the reasons why you keep all the vegetables on the board and you flip them over is to track, like, okay, I delivered to this specific cafe already this game, I can't deliver to it again. But it also is for the area control, because you always count all the vegetables there that have been delivered all game. So if I go into this neighborhood and I deliver to all seven hexes in this one neighborhood, I mean, you can't do that because you only get six per round. Um, But if I deliver all of my vegetables to this one neighborhood on day one, odds are... I'm going to get that five coin for all three days because mm-hmm. I invested so much into it. Right, right. But at the expense of not investing in the other neighborhoods. Uh, in right. a three or four player game, there are four neighborhoods. Five player game is five neighborhoods and a six player game is six neighborhoods. Um, the two player game has three neighborhoods. And one of the big changes, probably the biggest change is, uh, mm-hmm. so the reputation track goes from one to six because there's only ever up to six of a thing. And I was inspired primarily by the game Lizard Wizard. Oh, I think I talked about this in the previous You did. Episode. Yes, oh, you yeah. did. Oh, yep. so this is the thing that I was hinting at. Um, so uh, I don't know. I can't even recall how much I talked about this in detail. But now that I can talk about the game, so the big thing is in a two-player game, what you can do is, all right, so I, I deliver to this cafe in day one. Mm-hmm. I flip over my pumpkin because I'm the pumpkin frog and you're the broccoli frog. Um, because pumpkins are my favorite. All right, cool. So I deliver a pumpkin on day one. We flip it over and it counts for the area majority and all that stuff. Day two, I can deliver to it again, but I have to get rid of one of the other vegetables in my basket to do so. So it costs double the vegetable, but I can, I call it the double up rule. And you can deliver a second time. You still have to follow follow the rule where if it's been delivered to today, nobody can deliver to it again. Mm-hmm. But assuming that's not the case, I can deliver to it again myself by removing one of my other vegetables and that allows in a two-player game that only has three neighborhoods players to get up to six ah okay okay i mean if they double up on all three of the mm-hmm. if they deliver to all three of them and then also double up on all three of them you also can't deliver to the same restaurant a third time it's only a second time okay okay um the other big thing that i I developed it for the two-player game, and I brought it into the three-plus-player game, is assigning a cost to passing. I mentioned that after you move, you can pass or deliver. Mm -hmm. So when you pass, you flip over one of your vegetables just in front of you, the way it's flipped over on the board. 
You flip mm. it over in front of you. If you pass while you have a flipped over vegetable, you have to eat that vegetable. It's removed from the game. So there's a cost to every other pass. But if I pass, I flip over a vegetable, and then let's say next turn, I want to eat it. Like I just eat the flipped over one, mm-hmm. and then I, you know, I run and deliver or whatever. Um, or I can deliver the flipped over one and it's normal. The only thing it signifies is that there's a cost to the next pass if you have a flipped over vegetable. Um, those that's basically all the stuff that i have developed uh the other big thing that i'm working that's, on so one that's big thing, it that's it yeah <laughs> the one that's big all thing, you did yeah. oh I, I i changed how the score tracks work so i i changed it from the original tracks which were uh you have zero points if you've delivered to one of the restaurant and one mm-hmm. point if you deliver to and i just pushed them all up so they feel better for players mm-hmm. um yeah, the cost for passing, and I think there was one more change that I made to the rules that I'm, of course, blanking on right now. Um, well, then let's, I mean, let's just talk about the fact that, like, being a developer is is not an easy gig. And no. especially when it's, you know, if it's oh, one boy. thing, I think <laughs> yeah. there are different, there's obviously, I don't think there are different. It's definitely a rectangle. No, I. <laughs> there are lots of different types of development, right? There's, like, your standard I'm just tightening the game up, making it work, you yeah. know. Um, but then there's things like changing player counts. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, personally, for a game that was designed to work, say, with three plus, um, or you know, it works with two plus, but it did play it with three plus. Like being, yeah. they straight up did not have the option before I was born. okay. Okay. Well, good for them for starting that way. Because <laughs> some companies are like, oh no, it plays two plus. Um, I was just talking to a publisher about that, where they were looking at some games from people and they had said, I want games that go two plus. And when they looked at the two plus games, they were like, these are not two player games. Right. Uh, like, like these are not even functional. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> so um, I, I think that to me, I think that that is the single hardest thing to add to a game that doesn't already have that. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to make a three plus player game, a two player game than it is to make a two player game, a, you know, two, two plus. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree. I think it is the hardest like player count change to make. Right. The only thing I think that I would classify as harder, and this is just based on my own personal skills is I think that a solo mode would be harder. I think I would have an easier time making a three plus game, a two player game. And that's solely because I'm like, I love two player games and I love, yeah, I love two plus games that work really well with just two. Um, And I'm not great at designing solo modes. So like, you know, I mean, Mike Mullins would be like, Oh, this is easy. Like I designed solo (laughs) modes in my sleep. Right. Um, Well, uh, whereas, and I think it's funny because I, you know, I agree with you. I think it is the hardest thing to do is to adapt a three plus player game for a two player game and two player games are my wheelhouse. You know, I, I mm-hmm. briefly teased that I design other games other than fight sequence, although fight sequence is in forever more will be my baby. And my happens to be a two player game. Um, yeah, fight sequence is a two player game and I, it will be multiplayer eventually when I come up with those expansions. Right. But, um, but there are a bunch of other games that I've designed that are not fight sequence that are also two player games. Right, that's right. just my wheelhouse. And, um, and that why I was brought on, in fact. But and uh, I think there was a time when I mean I know there was a time when two player games were a really hard sell. Yeah, uh, I think that the pandemic helped usher in 
uh, more acceptance of two-player games because they started to sell really well. There was a yep. demand for those for sure. uh, because, because you had a lot of partners at home playing yep. games together because <laughs> that's, that's who they had to play with. I know my <laughs> wife and I, that was certainly our, our case. Um, but, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, speaking to that, making a three plus a two player game, if somebody's like, oh no, it's not that hard. A lot of times you could do it easily, but that doesn't mean it's good. Right. Right. Like, it, I mean, you do justice to the game, right? You've played games before, right? Where there's like the two player version of the game is a different game, right? Yes. Like, like it, it's, I mean, yes, a two player version of the game probably has to have some consistent possibly bigger differences but like there are some that i've i purchased right because i played them three plus and they're like oh it plays great with two players and then i sit down to play it with two players and i'm like this is not the same game like this is right. like and i just didn't play it like i was like no i i, I shouldn't even bought this is a waste of money like i'll never play this and yeah. i um i think making tweaks for two players is great because you want the game like Again, if you say this plays two plus, like two to six, but it's geared for six, it's going to play crappy with two without some adjustments most yeah. of the time. Not always, but, you know, I think it, de- it depends on the game, but in my, I would be willing to stake my claim on most games in that case yeah. will not work well <laughs> with just two. It's true. So, and I yeah. actually, I have two examples off the cuff just from my own collection. Um, Fresco is a favorite game of mine i love fresco oh my god one of my mm-hmm. favorite like resource like you know make the cubes and other cubes game right right. Um, and the the two-player game asks you to add an ai third player and that completely throws off the mm-hmm. math of like fighting over who's painting what things and it just i just do right, not like right, it at all right. to the point where i say fresco is a three or four player game the end um, right, right. Imahotep is another one. Imahotep is a fantastic game, one of my absolute favorites. Um, shout out to Bill Walker Harding who designed it. Oh my god, yeah. what a great game that! Can I, I have to get him on the show at some point. Oh my gosh, heck yeah! Can so. I be on the show when, when he is? Oh my god, um, we might have a line for that with the designers. That, I'm not sure <laughs> with fair. the fellow co-hosts here. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Imhotep is another game where like there are no rules changes between two and three and four players, but they mm-hmm. each provide drastically different experiences because of how the game works, where it's right, all right. about like strategic positioning of your stones on boats and mm-hmm. when are you shipping off the boats and stuff like that. And two player, there are things you can do at each player count that you can't do at the other player counts, which I don't see as a, as an, I'm saying for Fresco, it's a negative, like having a two player mode in Fresco, it's such a negative. I ignore it. But in Imhotep, I think it's really cool because it just opens up a different meta game. Right, right. Camp. It's like so different. Each one feels so different. And I think that is awesome. And a, it's just such an elegant thing because you literally make no changes other than right, uh, right. like what boats are available. It's like, oh, right, my God, right. what masterful design there. That is cool. Yeah, I um, find, you know, the the like... A, a game that I designed that I'm really proud of the two player. And it was actually not my idea. It was actually Isaac uh, Shalev's idea who was not one of the designers on the game, but he played it and then had a suggestion. And so in that game, you have five cards that get dealt out uh, to the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you draft cards, right? Every player in a normal three to four player game. And it wasn't a two player game as well. Everyone went around and drafted a card, right? Yeah. 
And then the other cards get pushed off to the side to what's called the scrap pile. And that affects how cards score. Because the more cards that get disregarded and go to the scrap pile, the more valuable that specific card is in your hand. Because oh. you want unique cards that are in play, right? So if there's okay. five cards in the scrap pile and I'm the only one with one of those cards, or if better yet, I have two of those cards or more, when I play those, I'm going to score a crap ton of points. Like that's how you <laughs> It's a crap ton. But wow. so um, in a two-player game, heck? the problem, of course, that's the technical term is crap ton. Uh, in the two-player <laughs> game, the problem was that uh, you, I would draft one, you would draft one, and then we would send three cards down to the scrap pile. Mm -hmm. um, now, in a four-player game, we'd say one, right? I think in a four-player game, you use six cards, actually. It's been a while since I played it. But, um, so, but in any event, what Isaac said was, what if you just take turns drafting twice and then send, send a card down? And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, like that's fantastic. <laughs> and, and so it was this little yeah. tweak, but it respected the two players um, you know, that was, that was my first second published game, but my first published game by another publisher. And, uh, yeah. And I learned a lot from that, you know, working through that, like, oh yeah, this is mm -hmm. a better way to do that. And I think that's where that became a, a more important focus to me of, um, yeah, of how you balance that sort of thing. And yeah, so I sure. certainly thought more about that with things like into the black forest and stuff that I did afterwards. And truly in some games, it just doesn't matter. Right. The right. game will function exactly the same. Um, you'll just have less downtime. But that's I, I feel like that's less common um, personally. For sure. I'd, I'd love to dive into the logic behind that big change. Yes. That I made yeah. That sounds great. So, right. So there there are a few little changes like, a, a, you know, it, the pass rule came about because when the game was presented to me, there was no cost to pass. You could just pass infinitely. Uh, and the the publishers and the designer were just like, I guess we just trust players to just not abuse that. And I'm like, if a player can abuse it, they will. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> I hate to break it to you. This is they hired happen. the right person to make that thing since you're you know, <laughs> quoted as saying like, if I have an option to do something good for me or do something bad for all the other players, I will always pick what's bad for the other players. Oh, yeah. That's worth more. <laughs> yeah. You should exactly. have listened to the episode I did with Zoe because Zoe and I made a lot of fun of you. So. Oh, man. Well, I have to go back and listen to that. You should. I do. I do listen to the episodes eventually. The ones that I'm not I'm just in, giving I you do hard listen time. to them eventually. So. But if you ask me if I've listened to any of the last fifty episodes that I'm not in, the answer is no. It was uh, not it yet. Was, <laughs> no, it was funny because Zoe was like, "Yeah, you know, some people are like, why would you take this action if it's good for other players?" Like, and I was like, "That sounds like Jamie." And Zoe was like, "It was Jamie." <laughs> yes. <laughs> I I gave. <laughs> yeah, I gave Zoe that exact feedback. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's. I'm uh, sorry, it, I'm, it I'm pushing a little while to right. understand the, the like the the cut of Zoe's jib as a game right. designer. Right, and right, now right. I, I'm much more on board. But yeah, when I was first playtesting Zoe's games, I was like, "What the hell am I gonna do here? Oh my <laughs> right, god!" Right, 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 right. <laughs> oh, I yeah. refuse anyway. to have others. Yeah, I'm just uh, my brain is mush. I don't understand. Anyway, what was I talking about? Right. So the pass rule. Right. So literally, I I tried it once just to try it out in the two player game. And I was like, I already know this doesn't work. I ended the play test early after day one. I was like, I already know this doesn't work. And I added the pass rule in the two player game. Um, and that went hand in hand with adding the double up rule, because mm -hmm. the big thing about harvest hoppers is uh, you cannot deliver to a hex that has been delivered to today. Mm -hmm. And that is where a lot of the, like, trying to herd other players and trap other players comes in. Because mm -hmm. one of the best things you can do is tempo someone out, 
uh, and make them waste vegetables. Um, I did remember mm. the other two things that I added, and one is specific to the two-player game, and one is for all player counts in theory. Um, so let me just in mention theory. those real quick. Uh, the So one of the two big things that I was hired on for was to make the two-player game, and the other big thing was for the three-plus player game, uh, well, it, well, for all player counts, I should say, for all player counts, I needed to design simple goal cards that didn't feel bad if players missed, but it did guide players into what to do in day one. Because many, many times before these existed, I mean, they haven't existed until like uh, three weeks ago, um, players are just like, it kind of doesn't matter what I do on day one. And players who are less good at analyzing the board are at a big disadvantage because if you can find a pattern of like, oh, I can deliver to like A, B, A, B on four consecutive turns if I walk this way, um, then that player has an advantage. And in theory, it balances out because like in theory, everyone should have equal access to that because of the way that, um, you know, at any point you can, or not any point, on your turn, instead of taking a normal turn, you can retire, whether or not you are out of vegetables for that day. Retiring is where you choose what starting point you are starting from the previous day, and right, the right, starting points right, right. are one per player. So by retiring early, you have first dibs on the starting points. So in theory, everyone gets equal access to those starting points, but the issue becomes like, you know, without any other driving force, the player who gets to those first is at an advantage because they have more freedom whereas like if if you know if jason did that ababb string first and then connor did it zoe did it in uh i was trying to think of who we mentioned earlier um zoe and yeah. zoe zoe does it on day two i have to do it on day three if i want it to take advantage of the ababb string um that you see and so one of the purposes of the cards is to try to like convince players to do things other than only specifically that, which is one of the things that bugged me right. about the multiplayer game. Anyway, I'm rambling a bit. So I was designing the cards. And then for the two-player game, it's one of the other big changes. So the big change is the double-up rule, where you have to eat a veg to deliver to a place you've already delivered to. And I say eat a veg, that's very important for the next part. Keep in mind, you can also eat vegetables when you, to move extra times, uh, you have the option of eating one vegetable at the start of your turn to move two or three spaces instead of one. You also have to eat a veg if you pass a second time in a row. The other addition, the big change that I made for the two-player game is that there's only three neighborhood boards, but there is a fourth quote-unquote neighborhood, and it is all the vegetables that have been eaten over the course of the game by both players. Oh, okay. So that that scores like a neighborhood, which in the two-player game, I'm realize I'm also remembering because I'm thinking about everything at once. <laughs> in the two-player game, the area majority works differently uh, because it's two players, so there isn't a first and second. There's just a first, but the scores scale up. So at the end of mm -hmm. day one in the two-player game, whoever delivered the most per neighborhood gets a three coin. At the end of day two, they get a five coin. At the end of day three, they get a five coin and a three coin. Okay. So, and the, the fourth neighborhood for each of those days functions the exact same way, it goes three, five, eight, uh, is the eaten vegetables over the course of the entire game. Mm -hmm. And I set that up uh, to offset how bad the tempo feels and to enable other strategies mm -hmm. that are not enabled in the multiplayer game. Because two players, it's a lot more cutthroat, it's a lot more tight. There's a lot more opportunity to shepherd your one opponent into other spaces, and you can use the double up rule as a variant of that uh, by blocking someone from delivering to 
days in a row, for example, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> it, or, uh, you know, making it so you aren't forced into one of the issues that I ran into um, before the double up rule existed is this pattern that came about where the person who was delivering first on a day was at a disadvantage because passing has the same cost for both players. So if I pass and you pass and I pass again, I'm eating a veg, which will force you to either deliver or pass, but it costs me a veg to do it. It doesn't make sense mathematically because you only get six, you get six vegetables at the beginning of each round. Um, And any leftover vegetables, if you retire early, do carry over. Um, In a two player game, if you have any vegetables left over at the end of day three, they all get eaten and go into that eaten vegetable board. But in the multiplayer game, the eaten vegetable board doesn't exist. So, <clears throat> okay, okay. Um, anyway, to go back to the two-player game changes, the pattern that I noticed was, if you and I are playing a two-player game, and I'm delivering first, I'm at a disadvantage because of how the two-star and three-star fancy restaurants unlock. So basically, like I deliver once to a neighborhood, and then you deliver once to a different neighborhood. If I deliver Again, to either of those two neighborhoods, it unlocks the two-star fancy restaurant that you can eat a veg to run to and deliver to. And it's okay. worth more points than either of the restaurants that I delivered to. Um, so then it becomes like, cool, I deliver the first time in this neighborhood. You deliver the first time in a second neighborhood. I might be, a, if I'm at the one hex adjacent, I can deliver just by crossing the border. Otherwise, I have to, like, I might step and pass or I might have to eat a veg and run to deliver in the third neighborhood. And now we're in this weird standstill. Right, right. The double up rule helps fix that in future days because Mm -hmm. now I have a lot more options of what I can do. I'm not pigeonholed into trying to dance around these stars. And then there's this whole thing of, you know, in a multiplayer game, there's this really interesting thing that happens uh, over the course of the days where, uh, if I have delivered to a three-star in a neighborhood, I can't mm-hmm. ever deliver to that same three-star again. So how much do I care about that neighborhood? And then I have to think about, oh, well... right, right. Yeah. So now I have to think about, like, am I going to gun right for the three-star? Or mm-hmm. even, better yet, one of my favorite things is stealing the two-star and three-stars from other players uh, <laughs> from the whole table in a multiplayer game. Uh, as you might imagine, I love that. Um so, but here's the thing, and I literally just experienced in the in the playtest where I, I just playtested it with five people, and I believe I scored second to last. Um, mm-hmm. I believe I was fourth in the five-player game because what I did, my my second and third delivery were both stealing the three stars of neighborhoods that I was not in. But here's the issue: uh... I by stealing the three star, I now am much less incentivized to continue delivering in that neighborhood. So I got a lot of points on that track. Because I got up to the 18 on that track, which is super high. I was the highest on that track. But I had the fewest coins in front of me because I had to think about how I was going to disperse my attention of area control. And it becomes much less enticing if there isn't the big capstone payoff of the fancy restaurants. And so I was trying to deliver to ones that I did not already have the three star in, trying to focus on those. Mm-hmm. And then other players like boxed me in. It was a very cool experience to go through uh, and see because it's different from the two-player game, but it feels familiar enough that you can port a lot of those skills over, mm-hmm. moving from one player count to the other. And so one of the big things was, you know, you know, if I am losing tempo in a multiplayer game, it is a lot of it is my fault, and 
as it turns out, like I am the only player who wasted a vegetable at the end of the game because I, I put myself in a corner because I didn't plan correctly. And uh, I even said, like, after I made this delivery, because someone delivered to the last place that was next to me that I could deliver my last vegetable to, mm -hmm. I looked yeah. for every single hex in the neighborhood that I was in and the two adjacent neighborhoods either already had a delivery or I had already delivered to at some point in the game. So I was, like, banned from delivering anywhere in sight, essentially. Wow. <laughs> and so that's why I wasted the vegetable. But it, that was because I did not plan well enough. And that sort of stuff is like, it's very cool because you have to keep adjusting your plan. But in a two-player game, you have a lot more control. You have a lot more control in a two-player game. Right, right, right. Which I is... feel like two-player games should feel more like the tighter control. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean... And I was, not, uh, I was not shy about going in that direction. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, got... You know, it has been verified by the designer and the publishers that it does feel like the core, the same core experience, and it takes around the same length of time. Hey, that's good. That is very that. good. I mean, that's yeah. exactly what you want to hear, right? Yep. Yep. Um, oh, and I, I mentioned this, and then I forgot to loop back to it. So the main thing that inspired that, like, the changing of a core rule for the two-player game is from the game Lizard Wizard, which I recently played. I've only played it as a two-player game so far. But the idea behind it, it's a tableau builder. There's a bunch of different pieces of the tableau you can make towers you can get familiars you can get wizards uh and i think there's a fourth thing you can get but the main thing is wizards the way wizards works every every lizard the way wizards to, get each, to be lizard exactly. wizards yes they're all lizards and also wizards um each piece of the tableau like each category has a different way to acquire it the way you acquire wizards is with an auction of one of your two resources mana so okay. you basically okay. in a multiplayer game you're like, cool, I am going after this enchanter wizard. I want him on my team. I want him in my tableau. So I am going to, you know, offer six mana. And then the next person will be like, all right, well, I'll bid, you know, higher mana or pass. And then you keep going until everyone except one person passes. That player pays that amount of mana, gets the wizard. Okay. But in okay. a two-player game, you skip the auction because it's just a two-player game. If you and I are playing a two-player game, and I'm like, man, this wizard looks rad. I want them on my team. I am going to offer 16 mana to add them to my team. You have right now the choice to either beat me and pay that mana and take it, and I get another turn, or mm -hmm. pass, and I pay that mana for that wizard, and then you go. And that's it. Okay. Those are the two yeah. options. I bid once. You either beat me or pass. Yep, Deal. I remember you mentioning that before, and I think it's such yeah. a cool system. It is a cool system. Yeah, and so that's the thing that inspired me to, like, look at, instead of adding things, because the first conversations that I had were like, you know, what can I add? Like, what components can I add to make the two-player mode work? And I was like, why do I have to add components to make the two-player mode work? Right, In theory, right. I did, because there is going to be that one little card that's for the eaten vegetables to rest on. But uh, mm -hmm. other than that, I didn't add any components for the two-player game. Um because I was inspired by Lizard Wizard to think about what core systems need to change. And I think that it may have taken me a much longer time to, you know, to go back to this discussion that we talked about of like doing the two player version justice and thinking about how it's tough to find and keep systems that work at all player counts. Like that's just, mm -hmm. you know, because of the nature of how the different player counts work. Yep. So. So yeah, so that was, from a mechanical perspective, probably my favorite part 
of working on this contract was like designing and developing those two things in tandem. And I guess the right. pass rule also helps. Um, right. Well, that makes me want to ask if that was your favorite. What was your least favorite part of it? <laughs> what was the worst? What did you hate? No, I don't so want to know that. I, but like, what what was what was tough? What was what was maybe tougher than you expected? These cards that I'm making, the cards have to do a lot of very specific things. It's it sounded so easy on paper. It's one of those things that sounded so easy on paper. Oh, I just gotta whip up some cards. They don't have to be many points. They just have to guide people in a direction. Specifically, that one of the two directions. Easy. It never is. That always sounds easy. It. I mean, the thing is, like, the rules were basically set in stone at that point, and I worked on the cards after I worked on everything else. And I wonder, because I, I feel like that was the most efficient way. I don't know if that had any part in why this is the hardest thing for me. And I say is because it's the thing that I'm still working on and finishing up in the coming days. But um, the thing about it is like, it sounds, yeah, it sounds so easy on paper. It sounds so easy to start. The goal is to push first time players into thinking about one of the two ways to score points and mm -hmm. to give them reasons to do particular things on day on on day one in right, their first right. six yeah. turns of the game yep and so that is the right? yeah that is always a good way to give people a little bit of direction right yes but here's the thing how many points is too many points versus not enough points uh how valuable must the cards be because if they're not valuable enough players will ignore them and if they're too valuable players will feel really bad if they don't meet the goals. Are they if goals or per goals? Oh my god, the number of times I had to debate this with myself. Uh, when I What I mean by if goals or per goals, um, I'll yeah, give you an no, example right now with the, with the bakeries. Uh, a gold card that says plus one reputation. Reputation is the, the name of victory points, um, mm -hmm. which also for is a Jamie each, edition. Hello. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you're saying the difference yeah. between plus, plus one, one for every time you do this or plus 10 if you do it five times exactly yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so and and that's still a debate that's going on and i i weighed the pros and cons there's so many pros and cons um and i'm thinking about like what are these main goals of the cards it is have the cards be simple enough that when a player looks at one card they can probably suss out what the other cards say roughly um it is make them easy enough to understand right at the beginning mm -hmm. that a player doesn't have to analyze the board and the game and know every rule before they can start acting on what the card says. Right, have them right. all follow the same structure. So making an, like half if and half per was out of the question. Right, um, right. Some of this, by the way, is not like the word from on high. Uh, and I'll get to the word from on high later. Uh, that's something I want to talk about in more detail. But some of this is like self-inflicted words because it's what makes right. sense for me for what no, I'm designing. I, I mean, I, I agree. Those cards, it's a fine balance, right? They have to be yeah. enticing enough to guide you, um, but um, not so enticing that you lose the game because you're trying to <laughs> chase those down. Yes. And that, is, and that is very much a dangerous thing. One way that I like to structure that in games is if you're doing different types of things, right? Like in your case, it, there's less, right? Because there's, you've got a couple different kinds of restaurants. You're always delivering the same thing. But like, mm -hmm. if you can have, like, say you were delivering five types of things, right? Um, to say like, you're going to score more for delivering pumpkins, right? right? So in general, you want to score pumpkins more than you want to score other things. Right. Or if you want to guide them even more, you're going to score less for doing this other one, right? Mm -hmm. um and then yes you immediately if you're a player can be like okay well if i like pumpkins and hate apples then jamie 
definitely doesn't like pumpkins, might like apples, might hate pumpkins, right? You know, right. trying to figure that out. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's a balance. That is, it's fine that's balance. That's one of the many issues I've run into with these cards. And it, 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 yeah, it sounds so easy on paper. It's so hard in practice. Part mm -hmm. of it is, so the first five cards that I designed took about 10 seconds. I was like, yep. I know exactly what to do for the first five cards. Uh, in theory, there are 10 cards in total. In practice, there may be less uh, or more. Who knows? But very first five cards, there are five basic restaurant types, and I made one for each of the five types that said plus one reputation for each of that type that you deliver to. Here's, one the, here's another one of the things. Because there are different neighborhood counts per board, if I make cards that say if instead of per, they have to work at every player count, and mm -hmm. that means that they scale differently based on player count. So if I said right. plus two reputation if you deliver to at least three bakeries, mm -hmm. in a two-player game, you have to deliver to all of the bakeries on the board. In a three- or four-player game that has right. four neighborhoods, you have to deliver to 75% of them. In a six-player game, you have to deliver to 50% of them. Right, right, right. So it changes the math a lot there, and it also, because it's larger point spikes, it makes players, even if the math works out to be the same or similar, right, right. it makes players feel worse if they don't get them, if they're if cards right, versus right. per cards. So and, I went with the per option. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that per, like, because that, to me, what I like about the per cards are, it really just, it really is just a gentle guide to say, hey, yes. Do whatever you want, but if you focus on this, you'll probably do a little better. Like, right. I'm going to give you free points for doing this one thing specifically instead of doing this other thing that's pretty much the same thing. You're just making a different choice that's pretty similar. Right. So, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the plus one reputation per X of this type that you delivered to, uh, very easy. Slam dunk, super easy peasy, and I designed all the rest of the cards with that in mind. Here's the issue. Those five cards all focus pretty, like, exclusively on the reputation track and not on area control. In fact, it's it's kind of counter to the area control, because if you're chasing after to maximize that goal, you are mm -hmm. jumping around to every neighborhood. Right, right, right. Delivering at least once to every neighborhood, and that requires a lot of finagling of, like, try to make sure you start in a bunch of different starting spots when you retire, all this other stuff. There's a lot that goes into it. And it skews things more towards the reputation track and less towards the area control. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try to make equal cards, uh, and I had to get a lot more creative with the attempts that I made at trying to push people into area control. I have been satisfied. So this is the this is the super hard part: is specifically making cards within all of the limitations that myself, the designer, and the publisher have set that have players focus on area control. And I just came from a playtest that helped me crack that wide open, which is really good. Uh, thank you, Connor Wake, who I think has been on the show before. Connor? Yeah. Oh, Connor is amazing. Yeah. Connor is amazing. Love Connor. Connor is who, with, with my last game that I've been working on, it was able to give me exactly the feedback that I needed. And so, that's what happened here, Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is great. I Okay. I also Turns want to shout out, out Connor all the other playtesters. smart. Yes. I had a Rockstar playtest team. It was Gabe who... Uh, I met at PAX Unplugged. Mm -hmm. um, Gabe was really great, gave a lot of great feedback. I had Maya, uh, and I had uh, Michael Wasbrock. And so it was, it was us five playing. Good people, um, yeah. All good people, all great feedback. And it was some stuff that Connor said specifically that made me be like, oh my God. Well, it was the conversation that the two of us had. So it was 
partially his feedback and partially like what I derived from his feedback and like responded with that was like, right. oh my God, of course it makes sense. And the, the reason why I have been struggling so much, I realized is that I was trying to fit the area control cards and the reputation track cards into the exact same box, the exact same walls and mm -hmm. door and windows and limitation. But here's the thing. The reputation track cards are you versus the board and it's indirect player confrontation. Because yes, other players will interrupt your ability to meet like delivering to every bakery. You can't deliver to a bakery if someone else is delivered to a bakery today, so you have to try again tomorrow. Right. That sort of stuff. But all of the area control cards are much more direct player confrontation. It's much less it's much less direct feedback on the board. You know, it's very easy right, to like right. know if I'm going to deliver to a bakery. I do it by going to a bakery and delivering it. It's much harder to know if I'm going to get a five coin in a neighborhood because I have to like try to guarantee that I get it. It becomes a much more much more of a toss up. And especially with how right. ties work in this game, like if you and I tie for first in a neighborhood, we're both scoring the second place prize of a three coin. If you mm -hmm. and I tie for second, we both get nothing. If three or more players tie for first, they get nothing. So it's okay. stuff like that. Where yeah. It's like, yeah. So this card, this sixth card that I haven't mentioned yet that I thought was a slam dunk, which was plus one reputation for every two coins that you have. It's type agnostic. If you got all three coins, they would count. It's basically, you know, it's now your coins are 5.5 and 3.5. Here's the issue. Because I spent day one chasing after stealing those three stars from people. I had mm -hmm. the card in the playtest I just did. I had the card that said plus one reputation for every two coins that you have, pushing me into area control. And I hamstrung myself. I, I hindered myself in my ability to do area control because I was chasing after a different goal. So everyone else got between, what was it? Uh, it was uh, between two and four for all the quote unquote normal cards, the three normal cards. Someone scored six with the big honker plus three per time you do this, which is another card I didn't like, which I'll get to in a sec. <laughs> uh, and I scored one point from my card. Uh, that is not the sole reason that I scored fourth out of five players, uh, but it is one of the contributing ones. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I'm rambling a little bit. Anyway, these cards, these cards are giving me fits. And so I, you know, through the conversation that I had with Connor and feedback that Connor gave me, I realized that it's fundamentally different looking at you versus the board as opposed to you versus the other players directly. Mm -hmm. Indeed it is. Yeah. And so I need to think about that and think about if it is even possible to meet all of the criteria that all parties within this contract have set for these cards, or if I have to just let go of one or more of them and tackle it from a different angle and see if that's acceptable to the right, right. word from on high, which I think this might segue into some other interesting things about this contract interesting Let's do that yeah interesting i say interesting I, I i call interesting a tofu word uh because it means nothing unless it has context at this in this day and age it's like saying literally it's like it could mean whatever it could mean anything um so when i say interesting i am trying to stress that i mean it as like value agnostic it's not good or bad it's just like it is something that i am chewing on and i'm having fun like with the thought process of chewing on it's a mm -hmm. lot to think about it's a lot to meditate on for future interactions. Yeah, yeah. This contract is unlike any contract that I have ever heard about with a publisher-designer relationship or a designer-developer relationship. So I am contracted by Snowbright 
So of course, Snowbright, the publisher, has final say on everything. If mm -hmm. they don't like a, work, a thing that I've done work-wise, they can say, hey, we'd like you to change this because it doesn't fit with our plans. The designer, Joel, is present at every meeting and also has veto power for what I work on. Mm -hmm. Working with Joel has been very interesting because he is not someone that I know from any playtesting or game design communities. Right, he was a 100% right. stranger to me before this contract. So we didn't have that trust built. We didn't have that rapport yet. Mm -hmm. And the process of developing a game at this very late stage that a designer has worked on for years with no trust built has been mm -hmm. very tough. Yeah. Um, that's just more of amusing um, but that is something that I've been thinking about. But the right. thing that is interesting is that Joel has veto power. Joel still has basically full control over the game right, outside right. of doing the development work for the two-player game because that was contracted out to me. Mm -hmm. and so, Which is very, very, very different than normal for yes. sure than you would yeah. normally see in any sort of publisher contract. I mean, right. the publisher is the money, right? They have the final say because they bought the game. Um, right. So, I mean, that's cool for the designer that, that yes. they gave him that, uh, but that is, that is odd. That's yes. just for anyone who's not signed a game. That is odd. <laughs> yeah. And it, it makes my job a lot harder because it, I have spent a lot of time and energy, like more than I, I won't say a lot more than I expected uh, not justifying, but like explaining why I'm making the choices that I'm making to someone that has been working on the game for years and years. Right. And it's that we've had a lot of conversations that were almost uh, cyclical in nature, where it's like, here are these changes that I have proposed for the two player game. This happened a lot with the two player game, where I was like, this is what I want to do for the two player game, and then Joel is like, well, that's a major change, or I don't know how I feel about it, or uh, a lot of uh, he was like, oh yeah, I tested that like years ago and it didn't work. I'm like, all right, well. You have to understand that the context is very different now. Um, and it right, could be right. the case that like something that didn't work a few years ago was because of the context surrounding it, rules-wise, mechanics-wise, component-wise. And now it's different enough that it could work now. And the, and the other thing I think to remember is that like you both have different skill sets. Yes. Not that one is better than the other, but just because he tested something and it, and it didn't work, doesn't mean it won't work if you test it, right? Right. Um, even in the exact same scenario, um, I mean, I know multiple times where I've been like, oh, I'm having a problem with this thing and I'm doing this and somebody's like, well, try this. And I'm like, well, I thought about that, but blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, but have you considered this? And I'm like, oh, no, right? Because <laughs> different outside right. views on games are, it's so much easier for an outsider to take a look at a game and make some some swift decisions on what yes. might need to happen, uh, especially if you've been working on the game for years, right? Yes. That's just not correct. Hundred percent. You can tunnel vision, and this is where Big it comes. Time. This is where I loop back to the trust that I was talking about. I don't fault Joel at all for being skeptical of my choices because we have no rapport and no trust. If you, of course, yeah, hired me to make a two-player version of one of your multiplayer games. I expect you to trust me a lot more because you no. know that two-player games are my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, I walked right into that. I don't know. Well, I mean, as soon as that was falling out of my mouth, I was like, absolutely, here's the get thing. here. <laughs> if I hired you, of course I would trust you, right? But that's the thing to remember is the designer didn't hire you, right? Yes, and if they've never worked sure. with a developer before, and if they signed a game with a company 
and didn't know at that time, right? When they signed the game and they signed the contract that a developer was going to come in and work on it. Um, that, that feels a lot like, you know, somebody's calling your baby ugly, right? Right. Um, it's I hard want... not to feel that way. Yeah. I do want to stress. I am not the first developer for this game. And Joel worked with uh, Forever Stoked Creative. So that's that's the other part. I'm working with Forever Stoked Creative on this. Uh, it's um, Basically, it's like they are sort of mentoring me from afar. And that was part of the contract that I signed up for, where okay. like, like I was being thrown into being the lead developer for the final stage of the game. But I was able to, you know, talk to Forever Stoked Creative um, to like get guidance, ask questions, use them for play tests, ha- you know, have them check in with me from time to time um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make sure I was on the right track. So, and the reason why it was Forever Stoke Creative is because Forever Stoke Creative did development work on earlier versions of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I am not the first developer. I am the last because we're about to push it out. Um, but yeah, so that's part of it too, is that I, I the decision to hire me i don't know how much say joel had in it um but i do know that i was a complete unknown to joel and joel was a complete unknown to me until we were contracted together essentially Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't fault joel at all but oh no and i'm not in this conversation either i mean i think in the situation most of us would feel unsure and uncomfortable right right? you've signed a game you believe in it you think it's at at the right point and then they bring some, you know, jerk off the street in who's going to come in and be like, I'm going to change your the game. jerk off the street for sure. And so that's the thing. Like, I'm not sure how much say Joel had in the hiring of me. I won't speculate right. there, but I will say that I can totally understand, uh, you know, Joel Joel's skepticism towards my testing things out, especially for the two-player game, without knowing anything about me until mm-hmm. we started showing up at the same meetings and i was like ah yes i'm the person that's gonna change your game Mm -hmm. but the other thing that i want to point out here is what i learned about how to communicate with the people that i am working with Mm -hmm. because that is a big so this is where we get into there's a bunch of stuff that i a bunch of uh takeaways that i have on my own process uh and this is this is where we transition like to the the jamie's introspection corner um i feel like I did not do a good enough job in those first few weeks of communicating what I was trying to do because I was Mm -hmm. so used to flying, not solo, because I have a co-designer for Fight Sequence, but the co-designer for Fight Sequence, the way our relationship works, uh, Anders is his name, he's my best friend in the whole wide world. The way my relationship with Anders works is, Anders, I am thinking about making these, like I've made these changes, how do you feel? Or I'm thinking about making these changes, how do you feel? Basically, he's a sounding board he hasn't done very much design work specifically, but he does have a hand in everything that I do fight sequence related. Mm-hmm. But it is just like, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the top of the totem pole. Anything I say goes. Um, and so I'm very used to being like, I have changed this. This is what is different. Right, right. Tell me your thoughts, I guess. But like, this is what my design instincts and my gut are telling me and all that stuff. And a lot of things that I, I do end up changing after I get my response from Anders and stuff like that. But uh I just operate, and you've heard me give feedback before. I'm very direct. I'm very no filter, and I just like bam, 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 bam. And so I was using that exact same communication style with mm-hmm. Joel at first. And that is, I think, I I use the analogy. I think I made Joel's heckles raise. You know, thinking about like cats and like yeah, cats yeah, yeah. because of the way that I was speaking. 
Yeah, I mean um, that it, that can be very off-putting for sure. Yes. Like if you're not expecting that and yep. you're not someone comfortable with that. Um, yeah, for sure. And a lot of yeah. the times when I give feedback, like I, I try to, you know, I, I give feedback, you know, when I do play testing a lot, I, uh, I will state up top, like, hey, I'm on the autism spectrum. Something that that means for right now is that I, like, I'm very blunt and I sometimes sound a little aggressive, but it's just because I'm just passionate about games. I promise right, right. I'm not like, you know, if I sound mean, it's by accident. I'm sorry. And I still do that with players that I don't know. Um, right. You know, I try to give them that sort of heads up of like, here's how I am as a person. Please don't read into it. Right. But Joel didn't know any of that because I, I was a stranger to Joel. Um, I, I do think, though, like one thing for you to consider about that, and I'm not trying to like coach you here or anything, but like oh, one yeah, thing no, for you to consider about that. I've is, been coaching myself, but it's always going to get um, outside opinion, as we discussed. <laughs> uh, is that it's great that you say that um, to people if you're trying to help them. But like, I think that when you think about like, forget about yourself for a second and think about your average person that says, listen, I can be kind of blunt. Okay. It's just, it's not that I'm a, I'm not a jerk. I'm just blunt. I I try and shoot straight. That is a very different person than you are. Right. Um, Generally, when I've heard people say, I'm, I'm kind of blunt. I'm just a straight shooter. You know, I wanted to make sure I'm just going to, you know. They're well, saying, I'm a me and I dick, would never say that. right? No, no, no. I know. But when somebody talks about being blunt or straight to the point, or I don't beat around the bush, a lot of times what I hear people say in America, especially is I'm a dick and deal with it. Mm, uh, and you're not meaning me. that, but yeah, no. speaking of raising hackles, <laughs> that can do that for some people. So I just think mm-hmm. that's something to consider because I know you would never want to do that and that you are yeah. actually doing it because you're trying to say, listen, I may come off as disrespectful. That is not my intention. And I'm sorry. I'm trying not yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, but that is, and that's when you said that to me, that's what I heard because I have a lot of dealings uh, with the autism spectrum and things like that. And so I get it. Like I get what you're saying. Okay. Um, but that's like, a very good point. some people may not. So yeah. there's just a, just something that, yeah, to throw out there for you. Yeah. As that's totally possible, fair. You know, helpfulness. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case. Cause I have no <laughs> idea, but. Right. Well, I mean, the thing about it is that I just did not, I just neglected to tell Joel that. Oh, anything. And so that's not what happened. That, you just sounded like right. a jerk. So Yes. Well, that's what I assume. It's part of it is that I wanted. So here's, here's another thing in Jamie's introspection corner. I paid too much attention to try in like putting on airs that I, like I was trying to do, how can I explain this? I was trying to make sure that everyone who hired me and Joel had faith in my abilities by right, like, right trying to be more absolute in my speech, mm-hmm. which actually I think may have made Joel's heckles race. That might've been oh, part yeah. of it. I mean, well. I can say for myself that the more confident somebody comes across as in their ideas, the more I don't trust their ideas. Yeah. Um, because I'm like, who are you being confident? Like, what's that <laughs> like? That sounds <laughs> awful. Like, how are you confident? Cause I'm not, and I've been doing this longer <laughs> than you have, and I'm super not confident about it. But um, but I also understand I, I've, I have done that before where like, I like in like, you know, when I was hired by that education company to make a game for them and they don't listen to this. So I can say this, like I <laughs> very much overstated my own confidence on the project. I was like, Oh, this is no problem. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to work great. 
And and luckily all those things happen, but I would never do that with an actual board game publisher because they probably know more than I do, right? Right. Um, But for that matter, when you're hired to do a job, you want you don't want to be like we're gonna throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know? And uh, yeah, and if it doesn't (laughs) work, we'll just try it again. It'll be great. I mean, that's even though that's really what you're thinking, right? You're like, I've got a tool set here. I'm gonna use it. It might not work the first try. We're going to work through till we get it. But mm-hmm. there is that fear that that's not what they want to hear. Right. Um, right. And, and that's, that's, that's exactly totally fair to be concerned about thing. that. Right. Yeah. You know, once you've done five or 10 games like this and you yeah. say, listen, I'm, you know, I, I think this is where we're going to try. I've got some ideas. They might not work, but it's okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, that has a lot more weight than, you know, like, if you say that it's your first experience, right? That 100% can make people be like, does this person even know what they're talking about? Right. And that's, that's exactly what my fear was. Yep. That that is a fair fear to have. Yeah. I, um, the other, here's another part of it. Uh, so the contract has not ended yet. And as of recording, we're in mid December. It Mm -hmm. was scheduled to end at the end of October. Right. Was when my development was supposed to be done, but a bunch of life stuff happened. Um, I had emergency, emergency, the start of November, I had emergency dental surgery that I would, I had to spend a few weeks recovering from. Everything's fine now. Um, mm-hmm. No, like no recovery issues. Um, but right, I was out right. of commission for like almost three weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dental surgery will mess you up, especially you know, oh if you want to like talk or eat or something. Right. Yeah. It turns out people need to talk and eat. Well, I need to talk for sure. People need to eat in general. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. I needed to talk. Thing. It's cool. Yeah. And so, so that set me back. And that was right after I had a computer malfunction issue where I had to like, my computer got all messed up and I had to rebuild the computer. That took about a week. So that like eight into mm-hmm. like the end of October and the beginning of November. And then I finally got it built. And then the dental surgery stuff right, happened. Right. Um, so one of my teeth went haywire. It expl- yep. I don't want to talk about it before too. Yeah. 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 It's, so. it, it was real bad, but now it's fine. Um, Great. Right. And so, and so now there's this thing of like, cool, well, I, I feel anxious about the fact that we are more than a month past when I was supposed to be done and I'm not done yet. And that ties in too that like, this is not the publisher's first game. This is not the designer's first game. This is my first development gig. And now I feel incompetent. And this, I want to stress that Nothing that Snowbright or Joel have said or done is leading me to feel this way. This is me being an anxious human. Um, right, right. I feel no, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, in fact, if they had said those things, your reaction would probably be quite different. It's the anxiety right. we give ourselves that is the bad yes. anxiety. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Exactly. And so I, and I'm still not done. And like, especially after the conversation, after literally today's playtest, I'm like, maybe I just scrap and re-roll this whole half of the cards that I'm designing and come up with something else or maybe nothing at all. I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing. And I don't, I don't know how I'm going to handle it in the future, but I think that recognizing it at all is a good first step, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. The other, the other big thing I want to go off on a, on a one more tangent before we close off here, um, sure. because I think this is a really important thing for listeners to hear. Mm-hmm. The other piece of, me being used to being my own boss as far as all my designs go is that I can just keep all the information in my head and that's fine. And I, I obviously <laughs> I have, I have fight sequence spreadsheets, 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 but like all of the, like I, the five, you know, all the characters of fight sequence, I design their move sets like based on 
how my mental image of how they would yeah. fight and their yep. personalities and all this totally other stuff. Get you. And that's all in my head. And I explain that piecemeal as I feel I need to. My number one regret with this dev contract is not documenting my process enough. In that mm -hmm. I almost didn't, I, I barely documented it at all. And I feel like that is the, like, that's the number one highest priority thing that I'm going to take into my next yeah, dev contract is, yeah, I just really wish that I, you know, documented my playtests better. Like I, I wrote, I typed up quick notes on all my playtests. I have records on them in theory, but it's hard to like parse into data that is usable for people without me translating it if that makes right, sense right yeah mm -hmm. and yeah you, you mean ideally you want to make like a google doc that you can share right that you right. can say hey here's this information i'm going to keep updating it as i go you know in addition to having meetings this this will allow you to see my process and what i'm doing yep. and what we've tried yep. and what has worked what hasn't worked yeah yeah totally yeah. but when you're not used to doing that that's hard when you're used yeah. to doing that still hard yeah and so the the reason why i have not been give, doing like in-depth documentation is that my brain moves way faster than even my hands when they're typing and i lose track of things and i i fall down to i feel it's too limiting because i'll start typing out a thing and then i'll go off on this tangent of typing this thing mm -hmm. and then i'll like my brain is now moving slower and trapped in this hole and i feel worse and it makes me stressed right. out so I fell out like I don't have the habit built of doing that. A tip I, for that actually is just to allow yourself to stream of consciousness it without writing it. And then immediately once you feel like your brain has like processed it, immediately start typing it after that. Oh, that does well, that work sometimes because it left it because I have the same problem. My brain works way faster than my my typing hands do. The other mm -hmm. thing you can do that I've seen plenty of people do is just record yourself. If you can stand to listen to yourself afterwards. Oh, yeah. Well, just sit down in front of your computer, turn your mic on, hit record, and just start talking. Like, explain it all out. I actually explain a lot of my stuff out loud to myself anyways, because that's how I process things. Like, when mm -hmm. I write, like, when I used to work in film and I would be writing scripts and stuff, I would literally say everything out loud other than, like, the character names. I would literally be saying the conversation back and forth because mm. it's just, I just write better that way um, because that's how my brain processes it. So um, there's, it is a pain in the butt to record what you're thinking and then go back. That said, you can also explain it and then you could just upload those files and let the people listen to it. So, you know, I mean, there are other options, right? There are other options. Yeah. I think I, um, I get too caught up in the presentation because one of the big things I'm stuck on is, and have been stuck in for a while, is like writing the backstories of the fight sequence characters. It's like, oh man, I really got to nail it the first time, which obviously absolutely is not the case and is counter to all of the game design knowledge that I have. You mm -hmm, don't mm -hmm. have to nail it on the first time. Turns out, spoiler alert, anyone listening, you don't have to get it all right on the first time. And in fact, you won't. Um, so anyway. Do you uh, have all that stuff in your head? Like for the most part? Yes. Because I mean, another option for that is that you hire someone to write them, but you just say, okay, interview me. And I will tell you about them, and then you put them in writing. Oh, there um, we that's go. That's for me. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, if, you, another, if you're, uh, yeah, um, I actually could recommend some people who could do that for you Ooh, at a good rate. Fun, fun. So, well, that's an off-topic combo. We'll talk about that. After. Yeah. No. 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 I'm um, just saying I've done that with games uh, stuff, and it's been <laughs> really helpful to have other people helping with that. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I and I, I honestly, I think like this listening to my own voice recorded is probably the way to go because as you know i love the sound of my own voice 
and I already listened to all the podcast episodes that only I am in. Um, it's funny because I love to talk, but I hate the sound of listening to my voice. Oh man. So well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. Um, well, this was an interesting side conversation. I, uh, I think there's a funny note to end on. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no pun well, intended. Right. <laughs> well, anyway. it sounds like, it sounds <laughs> like you had, I mean, this was a really good process for you, I think. And yeah. I mean, you learn things from it. Uh, you know, I'm so sure much. the publisher learned things from it and you, you came out with, with something good on the other side, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I think you couldn't ask for more from a first experience. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, frankly, you don't want your per first experience to go perfectly. And let me tell you why this is why, because mm -hmm. if it went perfectly, that was a fluke because it's right. never going to go perfectly. Right. So if it went perfectly and then you sign up for another contract with another company and it's not going perfectly, you're going to be like. Your first question is going to be, what's wrong with these people, right? Because you did it before and it was perfect, right? And that's just, that's what our brain is going to tell us is, right. hey, I did this before and it was fine. It must be them, right? When it could have just been that you just happened to gel perfectly with those people, right? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you don't with the other people. So I I think, you know, it's great to go, um, I think it's great to go, uh, you know, it went pretty well and then grow from there, right? So and and yeah. they'll never be perfect, I, right? I mean, they just and won't. I I think a good thesis statement for this whole experience that I want to keep in my pocket forever is that a lot of things did not go perfectly and continued to not go perfectly. Um, like the you know the the setbacks from the dental surgery and mm -hmm. all that other stuff. And it's really important to be adaptable and stay adaptable. Yeah, yeah. And that is something that if I am not careful about keeping in mind, I will slip into like a being a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. mindset mm -hmm. which is and uh, you know i've said this before i'm sure you've said this before everyone says this and it and i will never stop saying this perfect is the enemy of done yeah, and, yeah. Uh, also the enemy of good also the also enemy, the enemy of, of, yeah. of good yes um i i for years like and i i'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound weird because it sounds like i'm saying like really bad stuff about myself but I, i'm not so i'll, I'll explain it after i say it i <laughs> always feel like the wizard from the wizard of oz and it's not because i'm like trying to run a con like the wizard was it's because a uh, btg con when yeah it's BTG because gone. i um it's because i always feel like or i felt like a lot in the past of like everything has to be perfect right like the presentation you give to a publisher uh on a project or, or all these things no one should see behind the curtain right Everything mm -hmm. should look and be perfect. Um, and that's just not attainable. And I, I've, you know, I found myself like over the years that was really depressing to me. And, and this podcast actually, and the ability to say like, sometimes it's just not going to be perfect. Like, I'm just not going to edit all the, all the little things out. I'm just not, you know, mm -hmm. because of that, that has forced me, especially listening to 551 episodes or whatever this is 552 actually 552 yeah so listening to all these episodes has forced me to get better at accepting good enough and yep. good rather than great mm -hmm. um and it's it's a really good thing and more people should strive for that because i think I, there are a lot of us out there that feel like we have to have this perfect presentation when we're when we're doing something and and we don't Right. We don't at all. Nobody. You know, yeah. And, you never do. Yeah. You're going to fail at that anyways. Nothing yep. will ever be perfect. I, before my wife and I got married, we did like the pre-marriage counseling thing. 
my favorite thing the guy said to us was he said on your wedding day stuff's gonna get messed up just plan mm-hmm. on that like and just be okay with that he's like at the end of the day you're gonna be married which was your whole goal so as long as that happened you succeeded and anything that went wrong because something got screwed up with the flowers or something or whatever, he's like, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? On our wedding day, things got screwed up, but we did get married and we're still married. So, I mean, right. you know, a couple of positives there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, right. So, so that's just, you know, I mean, kill perfection. It's not, it's not yes. necessary, you know? Yeah. Sorry, that was a little soapboxy, but I don't care. It's my oh, podcast. I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. I, is that the episode title? It's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> other than I, I really, really feel the need to tag this as, uh, I can't remember what I named the first version of the the last one, but I will name it something that falls in line with that because yeah, yeah. Uh, only so that someone can find it if they want to listen to both of that those. That makes sense. I, I um, also think uh, that's a funny note to end on would have is like a good contender. Right, right, right. Yes. Because it is the end of the dev contract. That is true. You know what? That may <laughs> yeah. be the title. It may be whatever that thing is, development contract. That's a funny note to end on. That might be it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm a, I'm a creative professional. This is what I do now. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, hey, this was great. This was super As great. Always, always um, so fun. Loved it. And um, yeah, listeners, I hope you loved it too. If you didn't, we don't care. Um, but we hope you did. Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, us, it's good enough. Yeah, it's good enough. Er. But anyways, <laughs> uh, if you want to if you want to come hang out with us in Discord, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. Find the link there under the Discord thing. Uh, join our Discord. We've had more new people. We had 13 people. Uh, no, we could have had 13 people. We had 11 people. And if the normal Ooh. two people would have showed up, that all is usually there too, we would have had 13. That's a huge number of people just hanging out with us on a Tuesday night. And I love it. Love, yeah. love, love it. Um, in addition to that, of course, you can email us at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter, at least for now, at podcastbtg, <laughs> at jaslenderland, <laughs> at 3xrainbowgames. Hey, I'm not going to make any promises. Who knows what's going to happen with that atrocity yeah. of a landscape. So, I mean, anyways. I'll tell you right now, I am making no more tweets. And if you go to at 3xRainbowGames, the, the pinned tweet is the other places to find me. Yes, which is great. Yeah. And uh, and at some point, I'll probably do that as well. Um, I just haven't yet. The There hasn't yeah. been enough of a shift yet to uh, of, of people uh to push me that way but it, it yeah. will happen eventually so well here's sure. the secret all social media is hell yes yes all of it it doesn't matter the platform <laughs> yes pick There's which hell you're willing to go through to hang out with your friends online exactly. discord's pretty sweet so yep it's not really a social media but it's close to a social close. media yeah kind of i mean i wouldn't call it a social media because it's not you know, externally social to larger groups, but for your small group social, it's it's pretty great. I would highly recommend it. Mm. Um, And it's a good way to keep in touch when everybody flees the bird. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to keep in touch with us specifically on the Building the Game Discord. Yes, it really is. So please join that. All right. Well, also, keep coming back every week because we'll be here. But until next time, good night. Are you assuming the side? Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.